0: Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, man, it's great to be with you today, LifePoint. How are we doing today? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about, man. I love your pastor, Danny. Uh, He's become a good friend of mine over the past few years, and uh, as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I can tell you. My church is better, my life is better, because I'm friends with Danny Rivers, and so uh, you're blessed to have him as a pastor here at LifePoint. You're also blessed to have the many Dream Teamers that are serving in every facet of the ministry today. Would you guys join me in thanking our Dream Team for serving in every different facet of the church today? Um, so. Uh, I'm married to a lady named Jeannie, I brought a picture today of my wife Jeannie, we've been married this month, we will have been married 31 years, and so I know that that's hard to believe, yeah, thank the Lord for that if you want to. Um, We got married when I was five, kind of young, and you know, Skincare, that's what, what, what does it. But then I brought a picture of my daughter, Reagan. She's 16, and she's kind of a, a artsy kid. In fact, she brought me this art installation one day. It was like this little uh, egg crate, and it had in the shape of eggs these little cutout pictures of Nicolas Cage's face with a slash mark through it. And I said, what is this? And then the name of the art installation was Cage-Free Eggs, Please. Okay, this is my daughter, Reagan. And then uh, I brought a picture of my son, his na- he's 19, his name is River, and we lived down by the Riverwalk downtown, and so he, we were walking the other day, and he picks up this snake, and so some dads have a sticker on their car that says, my kid's an honor roll student, I need a sticker that says, my kid picks up snakes, okay, this is my son, I'm like, that's cool, just don't do it in church, you know, unless you want to, like, move to Kentucky, Appalachian Snake Handler Church, or something like that, but um, I'm an urban pastor, Uh, downtown San Antonio, and that can be stressful sometimes. Of course, being a pastor anywhere can be stressful sometimes, so pray for Danny, your pastor. It can be stressful. In the urban core, that brings on a whole new set of stresses and issues to deal with, and I was uh, having to take some time off recently because I was dealing with what therapists call compassion fatigue. So counselors and therapists sometimes experience compassion fatigue because they have talked to so many people with so many different problems and they lack empathy. The counselor does. It's like you've heard so much. It's like you just can't feel anymore. And when you're a pastor, it's important to like have a burden for people and compassion for people and actually love people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you want your pastor to love, love you you know, and love people. So I took like three weeks off. And during that time, I'm doing some house projects. I mean, we live in this old house downtown. It's like uh, built in 1897, so people ask me, how old's your house? Yeah, it's built in the 90s, the 1890s, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so the only thing that works is an old, in an old house is the owner, so uh, I was doing a project around the house out front, and this dude walks by on the sidewalk out front, and he asked me, he says, hey man, uh, can you tell me where the nearest hospital is? And I'm like, yeah man, I mean there's several hospitals downtown, so I'm showing him the directions to get to one of the closest hospitals to where I live. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, something hit me. I start feeling compassion for him again. That's a good sign, isn't it? It's a good sign when you start feeling for someone. again. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. What's your name, man? He's like, my name's Richard. And I said, Richard, what's wrong? Why do you got to go to the hospital? And he says, I'm dying kidding Man, wait wait, right here, Richard. I I went around, I got my car, and I said, Richard, I'm going to take you to the hospital. And on our way to the hospital, I had this kind of prompting from the Spirit. And you know when you've lost your first love for God? Some of you have been there, some of you have walked with the Lord long enough where you've gone through phases where you didn't feel as like the fire on the inside like you once did when you were younger or whatever. Well, that was where I was at. And I remembered from Revelation where God is talking to the Ephesian church. He says, if you left your first love, you go back and do the stuff you did at first. Well, the stuff I always did at first was I would always share the gospel with people like out there, like not just in church, but out there in my real life, you know? And uh, I had not shared Christ with someone outside church in a long time. It doesn't mean that the people I've shared Christ with in church didn't count. It's not like they're gonna go to hell or something like that. It doesn't count in church. It counts in church right on. I mean, that's a good thing. But you know... Where your heart really is, not by what you do in church, but what you do out there. And so, I said, I struck up the conversation with Richard in the car on the way to the hospital. I'm like, Richard, what's what's going on? What's what's happening? He explained to me that he had this this kidney problem and or rather liver problem that was going to lead to his demise if something. Happened. He said, I'm going to die. And I said, Well, what happens when you die? And he says to me, Man, I don't know. And I said, I have an idea about that. And so I shared the gospel of Jesus with him. that if you would believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, as sin payment, then you can have a relationship with God and spend an eternity with God in heaven. And right there in my little beater Prius, you know, uh, on the way to the hospital, Richard prayed to begin a relationship with Jesus. And, you know, yeah, yeah, someone wants to clap for that. That's a good thing to clap for, right? You know, what Richard needed that day was hope. And you know what my soul needed my soul needed to give hope because in the giving of hope hope comes back into me the fire of god comes back uh, into me and as you know our world is looking for hope isn't it and people are looking for hope through all kinds of different dealers and i think about when i was a teenager and i was met my first dealer as a teenager i'm sitting in this room and this guy his name was tom and he, he was like 6'7", man. He was a tall dude, and his hair was like 6'5". I mean, he was long hair. And he passes me this joint, and he's like, here. And I took it, and I smoked it because I was hoping that I would be received and accepted into a group. And, you know, some people will look down on people who have gone to drug dealers, but we all go to different kind of dealers to receive hope, don't we? So some people go to car dealers, and they say, what do I have to do to put you in this car today? Because you'll feel better about yourself if you can pimp this ride, you know. Some of you go to essential oil dealers like curinderas who promise to heal and cure what ails you. And I'm not throwing shade to essential oil dealers because I enjoy a little peppermint in my mister. It takes the edge off, you know. Uh, it makes me feel real nice sometimes you know but we all go to different kinds of people to receive hope in our lives and look um, some of you who are christ followers and you've been coming to life point and you enjoy the awesome worship and you enjoy danny's good teaching uh, but sometimes you're you're reading your bible and you're just not feeling it anymore maybe it's time for an injection of hope today maybe some of you were brought by a friend or a family member, or maybe the girl's just really hot and she's like, we're going to church, and you're like, okay, I'll go to church. Um, and you're what I would call a spiritual investigator, and for the first time in your life, you're willing to doubt your own doubts and explore, and you know enough about Jesus that you know that Jesus offers some kind of a hope for not only a better life here, but also a future. Well, what I've come to terms with is that when I'm tired and hopeless, resurrection hope is the deal it's personal and it's real we all go to different kinds of dealers and the best dealer is jesus and so would you say this uh big idea with me out loud with passion and conviction when i point to you you ready here we go resurrection hope is the deal it's personal and real okay look um, that would be a really fabulous effort if Life Point was a Presbyterian church but you're not okay so let's try that again okay <laughs> just playing Presbyterians okay but anyway, here we go let's let's say it again ready Resurrection, hope is the deal. It's personal and it's real. Good thank you. that was fabulous. You just filled my love tank. you know you're not going to remember my sermon in a week from now. But you may remember a story or two but i hope you'll remember this truth that resurrection hope is the deal it's personal and it's real jesus was the ultimate hope dealer and i want to show you this text about jesus in matthew 12 21 he says and his name will be the what's that next word hope of all the world and so in jesus himself is hope and then He passed this on to his disciples to make them hope dealers. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And you know, there's this author and pastor that I like named John Ortberg, and he says that when we're younger, it's really easy to hope, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I hope I pass the test, or I hope I can make the team, or uh, you start to date, and it's like, I hope she says yes when I ask her out on a date, or I hope he asks me out, or he's kind of creepy, and you're like, I hope he doesn't ask me out. (laughs) And then you get older, and you're like, I hope... I can get the job, you know. I hope I can get married. And then you do get married, and it's like, I hope we can get a house together. And you get the house, and then it's like, I hope we can get kids in the house. And then you get my age, and you're like, I hope we can get the kids out of the house. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, well, but if you live long enough, what you'll learn is that life And hope will disappoint you. And you wonder if there's an ultimate hope that can overcome the hopes in your life that have been dashed. And we know that our world needs hope, doesn't it? According to the CDC, the life expectancy in America has gone down over the past few years. That's the first time in a long time that's happened in the United States that the life expectancy has gone down. And one would think that that's happening because of heart disease or maybe cancer. But it's not. It's because of suicides, the opioid epidemic, uh, alcohol-related deaths, and it's, these are all in a category called the diseases of despair. Despair is the opposite of hope, and so I think that the life expectancy is literally going down in our country because people are losing hope, and we see it in the way we entertain ourselves. The trend in video and movie is not just superheroes and such, but the biggest trend in video and movies is zombies. We all, as soon as I say that, we all go down a list of zombie shows and movies. It's like, the, the Walking Dead and all the spinoffs of The Walking Dead. And then there's World War Z and there's historic zombies and child zombies and <laughs> all kinds of zombies. My favorite one is Zombievers, okay? Look at this one. And the tagline of the Beavers movie is, you'll all be damned, D-A-M-M-E-D, okay? So this is the apocalyptic future that a lot of people in America are looking towards. It's like we're all going to be munched on by these zombie, beavers, you know, um, and taken down in this way. Well, there's this Danish philosopher named Kierkegaard, and he says, if there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. So there's something in us that's eternal. That's why we have the capacity to either hope or despair. If we were just machines... Or animals, we would only have our physical desires to eat and reproduce. But because there's eternity inside of us, we have the capacity to despair or to hope. And so what Jesus does is he challenges the despair in our lives with a hope that can trump all the other disappointments that we have experienced. So look at how Jesus talks about uh, this resurrection uh, hope, and by the way, before I read this next text, it's going to be Luke 9.18, but before I say that, you got to understand that there is an interconnectedness between the resurrection and hope. Remember we said that resurrection, hope is the deal, it's personal, it's real? Well, that wording is very intentional, because without resurrection, you don't have hope at all, and we're going to see that as we unpack the rest of these verses today, but look at Luke 9.18. It says, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah still others. That one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And then he gets a little more pointed. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered the great popular answer, right? You're God's Messiah, some translations would say. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And as that passage continues to unfold, it says, and Jesus said, he said, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is calling his shot. He's pointing at the fence and saying, this is where the ball is going to go. I am going to die, but on the third day I will rise Again, Now, remember, we said that resurrection hope is the deal. It's personal and it's real. There are two intentional words in that sentence. It's personal and it's real. Let's start with the second one, that it's real. Resurrection hope is real. Paul was willing to stand trial for it. It was so real to him. Look at Acts chapter 23, verse 6. It says, I am on trial because of my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And so particularly if you're a spiritual investigator, you've got to understand that Jesus Christ was a real historic man. He never wrote a book, but there are more books written about him than any other man in history. His movement died when he died, but his movement catapulted into history and exploded after he rose again from the dead. Christianity is based upon the fact that something actually happened. Jesus actually changed the way people viewed the cross from a tortured device to hope. People wear it around their neck today because the cross represents hope. History is literally divided B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And the thing that you already understand in your heart that we've already come to terms with, remember what Kierkegaard said. Is that we understand we're eternal beings, and the way Solomon said it is that God placed an eternity in the heart of man. So, parents, when you look into the eyes of your children, you know it doesn't make, make sense that when your children die, that they're just fertilizing the grass. You know, eternity is in our hearts. In recent years, I'd become more fascinated with near death experiences. And you know, the Gallup poll tells us that 13 million Americans have had near death experiences where they flatline. There's no heartbeat or brain waves, but people are experiencing something. Some people are experiencing something good, and some people are experiencing something bad. But there are these experiences beyond this life. See? So listen to how Paul talks about Jesus' resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 4. He says he was buried, he was raised on the third day, we know that according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas or Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Now those words that you see were written in a letter from Paul to a Corinthian church, 20 years after the events of Jesus' life happened. 20 years after Jesus had risen again from the dead. Now, that's significant because in current days, around Easter time, no doubt, you're going to see a documentary, and these documentaries are fairly predictable, and they're almost cliche now, because they're, they, if you question the Bible, it It kind of sells, you know, it's kind of a little edgy, I guess, or whatever some people think, and um, they got to sell advertising time, right? And so these documentaries will always say, well, the events of Jesus' life were uh, so much earlier than the recorded documents about Jesus' life and resurrection all that kind of stuff, so they question it. So uh, to that argument, I say, so what? It's not a good argument. We can remember stuff from 20 years ago, can't we? Let me illustrate it. Let me show you a picture of an artist on screen. This is Selena that you're going to see on screen. How many of you ladies remember the song Biddy Bitty Bomb Bomb? Just raise your hand real quick. Come on, ladies, get them up there. Okay, uh, I'm not going to do the confession if you did that peacock thing on your forehead, you know, where you spray, you know, put hairspray in there and hair went up like that. Remember the song Biddy Bitty Bomb Bomb, okay? Um, in my church, the ladies are like, oh. You know, know, because I'm the minority in my church, right? But um, they all remember Biddy Biddy Bomb Bomb. Okay, well, you understand Biddy Biddy Bomb Bomb was from 25 years ago. Now, let me give you another one in case you don't relate to Biddy Bitty Bomb Bomb and Selena. Uh, The next one uh, would be Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Anybody remember that one? Raise your hands if you remember Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. If you could sing maybe the chorus to that, raise your hands up there. Okay, You're halfway there. Um, Some of you, you 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 could just sing it uh, right now. Well, uh, Living on a Prayer came out 33 years ago but many people in this room could sing that. Let me show you one more just for fun. This last one is going to be Billy Ray Cyrus, okay? Kids, that's Miley's dad. And uh, he, he sang that song, Achy, Breaky Heart. Don't break my heart. You know, the achy, breaky, a satanic, okay? All country music is satanic in my view, um, just playing country people. But uh, Billy Ray Cyrus was rocking that achy, breaky, mistakey of a mullet, Twenty-seven years ago is how long ago that was. Yet people in this room, every one of these that I've mentioned, people in this room could sing the chorus to it. So look, if we can remember something as frivolous as achy-breaky heart and bitty-bitty bomb-bomb, do you think that the disciples could remember the historic facts about a man who rose from the grave? They were willing to die for this man but nobody's dying for bitty, bitty, bomb, bomb, okay? These things are real. This is not just an internet meme or some positive thinking from the Oprah show. But this is real, live history that a man rose again from the dead, and there are many, many reliable witnesses here. And it happened on the third day. And to Paul's Jewish audience, that was a big deal. Because they remembered in their ancient documents called the Old Testament that the third day was significant. So like Joseph's brothers were let out of prison before the Pharaoh on the third day. And then if you look at the Esther story, she knew there was going to be a genocide of her people. And she received the favor of the king to save her people on the third day. You look at Abraham who was going up a mountain carrying his one and only son, And a ram was provided for the sacrifice in the thicket on the third day. Jonah was in the stomach of a great fish and was spit out on the shores to go preach to Nineveh on the third day. And Jesus had called his shot. And on the third day after he had died, he rose again from the dead, literally, historically. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we can put our hope in that action. Anybody on board with that resurrection hope? Yeah. Yeah. But let's look at the second idea, and that is that resurrection hope is personal. Listen to how personal the resurrection was for Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. It says, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, to me, was not without effect. And I want to break down that, that, those two words there. In the English, it's translated abnormally born. But that's actually one Greek word, ectroma, And ectroma means like an abortion. Because in the Roman Empire, it was very common for people that if they had a baby that had any birth defects, they would just throw it out to die in the trash heap very common, and that would have been an actroma. And you know, scholars look at Paul, and they say his, his name in Greek is Polos, which literally means little one. And some people think that Paul perhaps had some kind of birth defect that made him smaller. The Bible in the New Testament tells us he wasn't impressive in person at all. And some people think that could have been his thorn in the flesh. But he he he's saying here, look, I'm an ectroma. I'm like a walking, living abortion. I am what I am, but this grace of God was not without effect on my life. Paul was one that maybe he felt less than in some ways. And maybe you feel less than in some ways. Maybe it's because of something about your appearance or something that happened to you in the past or something that you've done wrong and you feel guilt and shame and nobody around you knows and you think to yourself, if everybody in this church knew what I've done in the past, then they wouldn't let me in here. But I think you could say with Paul, his grace is not without effect in me. And you're received into the family. And Paul was one that, lived before he died he didn't just go through the religious motions but he experienced life before he died and went into the kingdom the way he worded it was for me to live is christ and to die is gain i really like the uh author and pastor erwin mcmanus and he came out with this book in recent days called the last arrow and i had heard erwin talk about the book in uh, in a talk, in a sermon, and then I read the book, and basically what he explained was that um, he was uh, started starting work on this book, The Last Arrow, and then like a year later, he was getting a doctor's exam for an insurance policy, and the doctor's exam revealed that Irwin had cancer. That hits you, doesn't it? You find out you have cancer. Some of you know that. And So he's like, man... So he, he starts thinking about this, and he goes back to the book that he had started a year ago, and I want to show you a line that he had written in the introduction a year before the diagnosis. He says, so let me tell you, before you hear it from someone else, I'm dying, but so are you. Those words were prophetic when Irwin got the cancer diagnosis. Um, he did get surgery that helped his cancer but he had to wrestle with his emotions in the midst of this time. It's like, hey, am I going to be angry with God or am I going to be afraid to die? And when he wrestled with those feelings, allowing himself to lean into the pain or the feelings of what he was experiencing from a cancer diagnosis, and he, he said, man, I, uh, I wasn't angry at God because I've had such an amazing life. You know, God has really blessed me and given me a great life. And so I got no complaints there, and I'm not really afraid to die either. And it dawned on him why he wasn't afraid to die. Because many years earlier, Irwin used to minister in South Dallas in the hood. And he was around gang violence all the time. And during that time, he kept asking God for a word to encourage him to continue to minister in that dangerous environment. And he wanted the encouragement like, God's going to protect me or something like that. But that never came. The word that came to Irwin was for me to live as Christ and to die Is gain. And Irwin would say the reason that he could deal with the cancer diagnosis today was because he had already died many years ago. And he said the only proof of life after death is life before death. So don't die before you've lived. Empty the arrows out of your quiver in this life in service to God. And could it be that many believers struggle with spiritual stagnation because they've left arrows in their quiver and not really gone for it? So last week when I take a couple of people from my church into this homeless camp, you would never know it's there, but you kind of walk down this path and there are these people living in tents or uh, with tarps over them and I walk them in there and they can see this guy's body convulsing as he's like free basin and uh, on these drugs and everything and i'm taking water to my friend red and it's like they're like aren't you scared to come here no because i want to live before i die and i feel life when i take red as water so he doesn't get dehydrated see and christ followers you can live and show the world around you that eternal life is real in the future by showing them eternal life. Now, as you serve the hungry, as you serve children here at church and serve on the dream team and share Christ with people and initiate conversations about Jesus at your school, at your workplace, in your neighborhood where it's needed the most. So the resurrection was personal for Paul and it could be personal for you too. You know, the resurrection is personal for me. Because there are people I want to see again. When I was a little guy, my grandfather hung the moon. I called him Papaw. That's what a lot of us white people call our grandparents, You know, Papaw. I brought a picture of Papaw, and I'm the little guy on the horse there. And um, I'm trying to get the horse to run over my sisters there. And (laughs) Papaw was there, and he was a cowboy. And I looked up to him, but he died of a lung disease when I was a kid and it was the first time in my life when i go gone through counseling processes, it's the first time in my life where I realized that something's wrong in the world. But I'll tell you this, because of resurrection hope, I know I'm going to see my pop, papa again in a real place. I brought a picture of my friend Dennis Maples. and Dennis spent much of his life on the streets because years ago when his parents left here, And moved to Colorado, they said, we're going, but you're not, Dennis. And he was on his own. So he lived a lot of years in the streets, and our church took him in, and he became one of the key volunteers at our church. And you can see him there at Easter services a few years ago, and you can see his hands are a little bit shriveled up because of the diabetes caused problems in his hands But right now, he died this past year, and right now I can guarantee you Dennis Maple's fingers are stretched out in worship to Jesus, and I'm going to see him again because resurrection hope is for reals. And there are people that you miss that you'll see again. Look at what Paul says about this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no what? Hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And that is personal to me. See, he, he loves to reunite people with family. Because God is all about family. Right after you read about resurrection here in the Corinthian letters, you see 2 Corinthians six eighteen, where Paul says, I'll be a father to you. I get that for some people, father is a negative connotation, but you got to erase all that because God is not your bad dad. God is a perfect dad. He says, I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Look, the church is not a franchise. It's a family. And God wants you to know that you have a father, some of you, that you've never met before. You're like a lady in my church named Marty Lee. Marty Lee, over 50 years ago, uh, her mother birthed her and did not have the wherewithal to raise her. So Marty Lee's mother gave her up for adoption. And over 50 years later, Marty Lee started the search to find her biological parents. And she was able to acquire the birth certificate, her original birth certificate, from another state where she was born. And on that birth certificate, she found the name of her biological mother, Jan Seelinger. And a quick Google search showed Marty Lee that Jan Seelinger had died just a couple of years ago. and So she just missed her. And she noticed on the birth certificate that the biological father's name was deleted. So she started doing research to find who the biological father was. And as she did this research, she found out that uh, Jan had dated two men in college, and she had not told anyone at her college about the pregnancy. So whoever the biological father was did not even know that Marty Lee existed. Well, she found the two names of the two men that Jan had dated in college, and the first one, a DNA test, revealed that he was not the father, and the second guy, the DNA test, revealed he indeed was the father, and his name is George Damon. And now Marty Lee had a choice to make. Do I want to invite him into my family ecosystem? And so through a series of emails and eventually phone calls, she vetted George Damon to make sure that he was a a good, kind of person to allow into the family dynamic and then came the day when marty lee along with her husband would fly up to another state state to meet her biological father george damon and meet him she did and he turned out to be a wonderful delightful man who had a wonderful home and a wonderful family and marty lee had a father all of her life that she had never known until that day And Marty Lee's story is significant for me because when she was born years ago, the parents that that adopted her changed her name to Jeannie. And in college, I fell in love with her and married her. Marty Lee is my wife, Jeannie. And I brought a picture of her and George Damon, her biological father that was just taken a few months ago this year when they met in Kansas City And what I'll never forget about that experience was when we were at the airport, George took us to the airport, and he was saying goodbye to my wife, Jeannie, and he put his arm around her, and he kissed her on the forehead, and he said, I love you. And when I held my wife's hand and walked down the terminal of that airport, the tears were streaming down her face because she had a good father that she had never. And my wife's story represents the gospel in two different ways. One is that she had a father, the good father that she never knew. And in addition to that, she was adopted by a wonderful father that loved her and cared for her and raised her, gave her an inheritance. And look, you know what God the Father is desiring to do with some of you that are investigating him now? He would like nothing more than to hug you and kiss you on the forehead and tell you, I love you, my child. In fact, look at John 1.12. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. With that in mind, let's bow for prayer. And as we bow before the wonderful Father in these holy and precious moments, perhaps someone would like to begin a love relationship with him that you've never had before in your life. And I want you to just talk to him and say something like this. God, I know I've sinned. I haven't even lived up to my own standards, let alone yours. But God, right now, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I welcome you into my life. Thank you for coming in. Okay, first prayer is over. Let's go to the second prayer. And this is for those of us that are believers. We know God. And it's time for us to make a commitment to be hope dealers. Because in the giving of hope, it lights the fire in us. How many of you would commit to initiating a conversation with Jesus about to, to one person, one person in your neighborhood, one person at your job, one person at your school, and perhaps that person is coming to your mind right now. This is not a commitment to be made frivolously. Um, I'm not concerned that a lot of people raise their hands on this one. What I am concerned is that people who raise their hands will really do it. How many of you would raise your hands right now and say, I'm about to be a hope dealer? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to initiate the conversation with someone. Okay, just raise your hands up. I'm just looking. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for those that are raising those hands. And Lord, I want to pray that you would go before them and that you would give them favor. And I want to pray for hearts today that our hearts would be softened to you so that we could initiate hope in this city and that a pebble would be dropped in the water today and the ripples would go out all over the city and perhaps even in other parts of the world. So we thank you for what you're doing among us. And Jesus, we say your name is hope, and we choose to take it to others and be dealers of your hope. And we pray all these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus, everyone said amen, amen. Thank you guys so much.